Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the third Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, direct our actions according to your good pleasure, that in the name of your beloved Son, we may abound in good works. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Nehemiah. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, consisting of men, women and children old enough to understand. This was the first day of the seventh month, on the square before the water gate in the presence of men and women, and children old enough to understand. He read from the book from early morning till noon. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden dais, erected for the purpose. In full view of all the people, since he stood higher than all the people, Ezra opened the book, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people raised their hands and answered, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and faced to the ground, prostrated themselves before the Lord, And Ezra read from the law of God, translating and giving the sense, so that the people understood what was read. Then Nehemiah, his excellency, and Ezra, priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to all the people, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not be mournful, do not weep. For the people were all in tears as they listened to the words of the law. He then said, Go, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send a portion to the man who has nothing prepared ready, for this day is sacred to our Lord. Do not be sad, the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The rule of the Lord is to be trusted. It gives wisdom to the simple. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. The precepts of the Lord are right. They gladden the heart. The command of the Lord is clear. It gives light to the eyes. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. The fear of the Lord is holy, abiding forever. The decrees of the Lord are truth, and all of them just. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. May the spoken words of my mouth, the thoughts of my heart, win favour in your sight, O Lord, my rescuer, my rock. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Just as a human body, though it's made up of many parts, is a single unit because all these parts, though many, make one body, so it is with Christ. In the one spirit, we were all baptised, Jews as well as Greeks, slaves as well as citizens, 
and one spirit was given to us all to drink. Nor is the body to be identified with any one of its many parts. If the foot were to say, I am not a hand and so I do not belong to the body, would that mean that it stopped being part of the body? If the ear were to say, I am not an eye and so I do not belong to the body, would that mean that it is not a part of the body? If your whole body was just one eye, how would you hear anything? If it was just one ear, how would you smell anything? Instead of that, God put all the separate parts into the body on purpose. If all the parts were the same, how could it be a body? As it is, the parts are many, but the body is one. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. Nor can the head say to the feet, I do not need you. What is more, it is precisely the parts of the body that seem to be the weakest, which are the indispensable ones. And it is the least honourable parts of the body that we clothe with the greatest care. So our more improper parts get decorated in a way that our more proper parts do not need. God has arranged the body so that more dignity is given to the parts which are without it, and so that they may not be disagreements inside the body, but that each part may be equally concerned for all the others. If one part is hurt, all parts are hurt with it. If one part is given special honour, all parts enjoy it. Now you together are Christ's body, but each of you is a different part of it. In the church, God has given the first place to apostles, the second to prophets, the third to teachers, after them miracles, and after them the gift of healing, helpers, good leaders, those with many languages. Are all of them apostles? Or all of them prophets? Or all of them teachers? Do they all have the gift of miracles? Or all have the gift of healing? Do all speak strange languages and all interpret them? The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. The Lord sent me to bring good news to the poor and freedom to the prisoners. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Seeing that many others have undertaken to draw up accounts of the events that have taken place among us, exactly as these were handed down to us by those who from the outset were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, I, in my turn, after carefully going over the whole story from the beginning, have decided to write an ordered account for you, Theophilus, so that your excellency may learn how well-founded the teaching is that you have received. Jesus, with the power of the Spirit in him, returned to Galilee, and his reputation spread throughout the countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day as he usually did. He stood up to read, and they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord has been given to me. 
for he has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives and to the blind new sight, to set the downtrodden free, to proclaim the Lord's year of favour. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the assistant and sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to speak to them. This text is being fulfilled today, even as you listen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, so in the Gospel today we hear the remarkable moment of the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He's in his hometown of Nazareth and he gets up in the synagogue to read a prophecy about the Messiah who is to come and the mission that he'll embody. The Spirit of the Lord has been given to me, for he has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives and to the blind new sight, to set the downtrodden free, to proclaim the Lord's year of favour. It's a startling text in that it's written in the first person. It doesn't say that the Spirit of the Lord will be given to him, He will bring good news to the poor. He will proclaim liberty to captives. No, it says, I will bring good news to the poor. I will proclaim liberty to captives. And although the people in the synagogue in Nazareth will have heard this text proclaimed by others, there's something unique when Christ takes this prophecy on his own lips. The people are startled. All eyes in the synagogue are on him. And somehow, everyone seems to have this mutual expectation that the man who has just read this text from the prophet Isaiah is in fact the fulfilment of the promise of the prophet Isaiah. And with all eyes on him, Jesus says what they're all thinking. This text is being fulfilled today, even as you listen. You know, I was thinking about this prophecy about the Messiah, that he'd be the one to proclaim liberty to captives, and it occurred to me that, in fact, there's really only one man who actually gained his freedom and got out of prison because of Jesus. And that was the scoundrel Barabbas, the one who was freed instead of Jesus at his passion. What's this mission of the Messiah to proclaim freedom to prisoners? Because if we take the text in the literal sense, then really all Jesus did was free one murderer from prison by taking his place. When we take a deeper look into the text, what we start to discover is that in fact, what Christ has done is to free us all. He's proclaimed liberty to all of us who have been held captive to sin. In reality, Sin is something that enslaves us and robs us of our freedom. The trouble is that so often the impression we get of Christianity is exactly the opposite, that it actually reduces freedom because of all the laws. It's all those thou shalt nots that keep us from being free. So how is it that Christ has brought freedom when the scope of our action is so limited by the law? It would seem rather that Christ has not proclaimed liberty to us captives, but rather has left us languishing under the weight of law and terribly unfree. 
The trouble with sin, and the reason why it clings so easily, is because sin is habit-forming. I'll give you an example. If I tell a lie to get out of a sticky spot, then what am I likely to do the next time I'm in a jam? And as so often happens to maintain an untruth, the lie starts to multiply in order to conceal the first lie. And the more I tell lies to suit myself, the less of a big deal I start to think that it is. And eventually it becomes habitual. I start lying for no reason. I lie so that people would have a higher opinion of me. I like to exaggerate. And eventually I lie, not only just to make people think more of me, but also I lie to make people think less of others. The problem with sin is that it's habit-forming. And it starts to carry its own inertia and becomes harder and harder to stop. Harder and harder not to sin. The more I lie, the harder it becomes for me to begin telling the truth. It becomes harder and harder for me to be an honest person. So here's the question. If I'm a habitual liar, how free am I not to lie? How free am I to tell the truth when the weight of my own moral history points towards untruth? If I can't stop telling lies, then how free am I? In fact, I've lost my freedom. I've become a slave to sin because sin is habit-forming. By analogy, we might say that a person is not free when the law prohibits us from taking illicit drugs, but someone who is caught in the habit of taking such substances is horribly unfree and caught in the prison of addiction. Now, this is true of all sorts of sins. The more I give in to my lusts, the less free I am to love unselfishly. The more I steal, the less I am free to respect the property of others and to give of my own. The more violent I am, the less free I am to be a peacemaker. The more envious I am of others, the less free I am to admire them. The more selfish I am, the less free I am to give to others. It's not the law that makes us unfree. It's sin that robs us of our interior freedom because it carries the burden of our habitual tendencies toward the bad. Our Lord Jesus proclaims liberty to captives. To all of us who suffer the slavery that comes from our own sinfulness. This isn't the kind of freedom that comes from lifting all the rules and saying, do whatever you want since that will only lead to more enslavement. No, Jesus leaves us the moral law. Yes, he abolishes a lot of the ritual law of the Jews, but he turns us toward the moral law as the signpost towards freedom. The upshot of all of this is that what makes us free, truly free, isn't the absence of law and the ability to choose between good and evil. No, what makes us truly free is when we choose the good and avoid the evil. This is the freedom that Jesus proclaims to us when we're held captive by sin, when we're held back from doing good because of the inertia that carries us toward evil. But you know what? If the work of the Messiah was just to point toward the law and say, hey guys, try harder, well then... What Jesus does would be no different from what John the Baptist did 
He preached a baptism of repentance. He, he said, hey guys, let's, let's try again. Let's try a little harder. Let's try and strive for some of that freedom. Let's try and follow the law. But John the Baptist was pretty clear. I'm not the Messiah. No, the Messiah is going to do something different. I baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Lord Jesus doesn't just proclaim liberty to captives in saying, hey guys, this is the way forward. No, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, a baptism of fire. This changes us from the inside. Jesus doesn't just give us a diagnosis. Hey guys, here's what's wrong with you. He also gives us the medicine. The medicine that's poured into our hearts is the presence of God. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's a baptism. It's an outpouring, which is fire. It's purifying. It purges us of that which is holding us captive. When the Holy Spirit, the love of God, is poured into our hearts, when we truly fan that flame and cooperate with that transforming love, what happens? Those things which I love too much, those habits which to me seemed so impossible to break, they start to lose their grip on me. Well, why is that? Because I start to love God more. I start to love God more than my habits. I start to love God more than myself. And so, in letting go of these things which for so long have been our crutch, our comfort, our support, our guilty pleasure, I can let go of them when there's something I love more. When there's someone I love more. You know what? If we're like the people in the synagogue in Nazareth, with our eyes fixed on Jesus falling ever more deeply in love with him as the Holy Spirit burns within us, then we will indeed receive the liberty, the freedom that comes from Jesus and his presence among us. Our life won't be this kind of perpetual, no, 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 I shouldn't do that and I shouldn't want that and I've got to deny myself all those things which secretly I think are going to make me happy. No, with our eyes fixed on Christ, our hearts fall in love with him. And all our other loves start to fall into place. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, is easy when his love has first been poured into our hearts. We'll come to love our neighbours in the right measure. We'll come to love ourselves in the right measure. Jesus the Messiah is among us, not so that there is a great big no in our lives, but that our lives would be one great love-filled yes. That is freedom. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.